0: Bismillah, Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu salam ala rasulilla wa aala alhi wa sahbihi wam wala ama baad asalaam wa alaykum mu rahmatulla. How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. So today we're continuing with hadith number thirty-four, which is related by Abu Sa'id al-Hudriallahu khudri ta'ala anhu who says, Same to Rasulullah Yaqur, that I heard the Messenger of Allah sallam, say, Men ra'a minkum munkaran faljuha yirhu biyadihi. فَإِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَإِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَبِقَلْبِهِ وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ الْإِيمَانِ That the Prophet said, whoever sees an evil should change it with his hand. If he's unable to, then with his tongue. And if he is unable to, then with his heart. And that is the weakest of faith. This is a very, very famous narration because it's so comprehensive and it covers, I mean, every day of your life you could be trying to apply this hadith, subhanAllah, it's something that you know has so much weight the overall theme if you were to summarize it in a simple concept you would say that the believer is never willing to accept evil he's always in opposition to in opposition to it and so let's explore this a little bit more the first statement Men ra'a minkum munkaran whoever whoever who is the whoever here well this can apply to different people i mean it applies to everybody whoever I yeah, anybody Now, but the fact is that this hadith will apply to different people based on their level of authority, right? As the saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. So a ruler, it's going to apply to him a lot more because he has the ability to set up laws, uh, army, police, etc. A school teacher is responsible for the students, a a scholar is responsible to teach the people, Uh, uh, a um, uh, husband or a wife is, is responsible for the children, and so on and so forth. So clearly, this applies to everybody, but at the same time, it applies to everybody differently because it's all about how much ability you have to stop evil. Man ra'a, whoever sees. Now, this idea of seeing is not literal. It's not in the sense of if you only see an evil, like you're present and you're physically watching it, then you should uh, stop it with your hand or change it with your hand. This can, يعني, in this state, in this, in this instance, can also refer to whoever knows of or is aware of. Because obviously if outside some guy's getting you know mugged and beat up and you have the ability to either jump in, stop it, or call the police or make some sort of a change and you're like, Well, I didn't see it, I just I just know. You know, some people came inside and said, Oh hey, some guy's getting beat up. Well, it's not my responsibility, I haven't seen it. Nonsense, right? Doesn't doesn't that, that doesn't make any sense. So clearly it's not just literally seeing, it also has to do with being aware of and uh, knowing. Men ra'a minkum from amongst any of you, munkeron. Munker منكر. What does this word mean? Well, it comes from which means what? To have nothing to do something, to disavow, to renounce something, um, and, or to not know anything about something, for something to be unknown to you. So this is all understood as munkar. And the idea here is that a munkar, which is the maf'ul, that a munkar is what? Is something that is rejected or objectionable to the sharia, to the deen of Allah. So to this religion, it is something that is uh, renounced. It is something... Uh, unacceptable. It is something that is, uh, you could say, uh, uh, disavowed or whatever term you want to use. That is a munkar. Now, the simple translation is something that is evil because obviously if Allah Ta'ala rejects something, that's because it's obviously evil. But this isn't limited to ma'asi. A ma'asiya, a disobedience, is obviously bad, but munkar is bigger than that. Why is that the case? Because let's say, for example, if some young child, little toddler, picks up, let's say, some alcohol and starts drinking it. Did they commit a sin? No, because they don't know what they're doing. They're they're, they're too young to to be aware of what they're doing. But is this considered, so it's not considered a ma'asiyah. But is it considered a munkar? Absolutely. Because it's something abominable, something ugly, something that the sharia prevents and anybody with common sense would want to stop that from happening. So this just goes to show that munkar is actually a more expansive word and it covers more ground. Because ma'asiyah is a little bit more limited. I hope you guys all understand the example. Now, the biggest issue that... I, th- I, would, I would bet all of us have heard at least once in our lives if not many times in our lives is oh I would say something or I would do something to stop the evil that I'm witnessing but I don't want to be a hypocrite I'm not practicing enough I'm not a strong enough Muslim to be saying something or doing something now this is a huge misconception a huge misconception and even they'll quote the Qur'an they'll quote the ayah in which Allah Ta'ala mentions what? bil birri wa anfusakum." Allah says do you command and order people to be righteous while forgetting about yourself. Now, the thing is that they're misapplying this ayah. This ayah of the Qur'an is telling you what? That yes, you have the obligation to do two things. Apply, you know, uh, enjoining good and forbidding evil to yourself. As in, you must uh, be obedient to Allah and stay away from that which is forbidden in and of yourself. And a completely different and separate obligation is what? The obligation of commanding to that which is good and forbidding that which is evil to other people, right? So these two things must be applied to every single individual and that person must do it for themselves and for others. But to say that, oh, well, I'm not applying this deen to myself enough, therefore I can't command to that which is good, all you're doing is compounding the evil. So let me give a simple example. If somebody drinks alcohol, okay, and then they see other people drinking alcohol, it is actually upon them, it is their obligation to go up to those people and say, this is haram, you shouldn't be doing it now obviously someone could say to them, but you drink as well and they say, yeah I know, you're right, and what I'm doing is evil and I have two obligations, one obligation is to stop and I'm failing at that, but I have another obligation which is to stop you from doing it, and I don't want to fail twice so I'm going to tell you, get away from this and so what the ayah is saying is that it's bad if you go around and constantly remind people to be better and never apply it to yourself, yes of course this is a problem but the problem isn't that you're reminding people, that's the good part the bad part is that you're not applying it to yourself. So don't do the opposite and say, okay, well then I'll just abandon both jobs. No, if you're doing the job of reminding others, then inshallah ta'ala that's gonna push you to apply it to yourself as well. You don't want to go in the opposite direction. You want to do both commands instead of uh, losing twice. So I hope that example is clear. Wallahu ta'ala a'alim bis sawam. So man ra'a minkum munkaran, fal biyadihi. So the first command is he should Ghayyara is to change. He should ch- change it, he should fix the situation, he should stop that from happening, Biyedihi with his hand. Now, is this literally the hand? The idea is with whatever strength and authority you have. You have to, if you have the ability to stop it, right? So, uh, this is considered a farb kifaya. What is a farb kifaya? It's a communal obligation. And the idea of a communal obligation is that, so for instance, if somebody, like I said, let's say outside, there's a mugging taking place, right? Some guy's trying to beat up some other guy in the parking lot. <clears throat> then, somebody has to get up and go and stop that, right? Either we call the police to stop it or, a, 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 let's say, a group of men run out and grab the guy and stop the guy. Now, if ten people go out and stop him, then the, the, the other ten who are, let's say, or the other hundred people who are sitting in this masjid, they are now exempted because it's a farad kifaya. It has to get done. Whoever gets it done, then it's okay. But if those first ten guys don't go out, then all 110 people in the masjid, let's say theoretically if that was the number, all of them are now guilty because nobody's getting it stopped. So that's considered a fard kifaya, a communal obligation. If somebody gets it done, then everybody's exempted. If nobody gets it done, then everybody is blameworthy. And it could be a fard a'in, it could be a individual obligation, but that only applies if you are the only one specialized to do it. So if let's say, for example, again, going back to the idea of uh, uh, there's a mugging going on outside and then you find out it's not just with hands, because if it's just with hands, then men can grab the guy and pull each other apart. But if they find out it's with a weapon, then it's actually wiser to say, Does anybody, is anybody a police officer? And if one person is a police officer, now it just changed from a Fard Kifaya, a general communal obligation to a Fard ayn. You're the one who has the weapon. You're the one who can actually stop the situation. It would be a bad idea if we just run out there because we can make the situation worse. So now it's upon you as the police officer who has the weapon, you gotta get out there and do it. I hope that's clear to everybody inshallah ta'ala. Are there examples of this in the Quran? Yes, Ibrahim said what? That Allah Ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Anbiya, Ayat 57-58, that Ibrahim Alayhi was, was, was saying to his people, I swear by Allah, I will surely plan against your idols after you have turned and gone away. And then, so he made them into fragments. So we know Ibrahim Alayhi salam he turned to their idols and he smashed them. So this is an example of Ibrahim salam taking matters into his own hands and with his own hands saying, "I'm going to get rid of this shirk." Musa salam, same thing. Uh, Allah, uh, Allah Taala mentions in Surah Taha, uh, ayah number ninety-seven, "Wanzur uh, ila ilahika uh, al-ladhi zalta alaihi gakifan, lanu <laughs> thumma lanansifanhu min min al That he said, "Look at your deity, your God, which was the golden calf." Which you remain devoted to, we will surely burn it and blow it into the sea with a blast. So, Musa, when he came back and found them worshipping the golden calf, he just destroyed it. It wasn't a discussion, debate, he just, I'm <laughs> just getting rid of this thing. And we know that the Prophet this is mentioned in Bukhari, that when the Prophet entered Mecca on the day of conquest, there were 360 idols around the Kaaba. وَجَعَلَ بِعُودٍ فِي يَدِهِ وَيَقُولَ جَاءَ الْحَقُ وَزَهَقَ That the Prophet he started striking them with his stick and he started destroying them, saying what? That the truth has come and falsehood uh, uh, is, has vanished or is vanishing. And uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas he uh, mentions in a particular hadith that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi one time he saw a person, one time the Prophet saw a man who was wearing a gold ring. That the Prophet just took it off the guy's hand and threw it. <laughs> uh, uh, and he said, uh, يَعْمِدُ أَحَدُكُمْ إلى جمرة من نار فيجعلها في that the Prophet was saying, one of you wishes that a live coal from the hellfire is on his hand the Prophet ﷺ was stating it in that, with that level of urgency. And then, so the Prophet ﷺ stated this statement, didn't directly uh, attack the guy, but just said, one of you. So this goes to show that the Prophet ﷺ wasn't trying to call the guy out and you know, get his business everywhere, but he's saying, this is so bad that one of you would do something like this. And then later when the Prophet ﷺ had left, then somebody comes, it mentions, uh, فَقِيلَ الرسول, uh, uh, الله الله وسلم, That somebody came to the guy and later and said, t- said to the guy, in He said, why don't you go pick up that ring and, and go, you know, sell it? You know, why don't you benefit from it? Because, I mean, yeah, the Prophet told you don't wear it and he threw it away, but you can still go pick it up and go sell it, right? It's still your ring. And so he says, What a beautiful statement. He said, no way, I would never, I'm never going to go grab it after the Prophet had thrown it away. So even if it is halal for me to go pick up the ring, which it is, and go sell it, make some money off of it, maybe give it to my wife as a gift or whatever the case is, right? I can make some money off of it. That's okay. It's fine. It's halal. But the fact that the Prophet took it off of my hand and threw it, I'm never going to go and pick it up ever again. That's it. I don't care how much it's worth. I, I, I'm done. So subhanAllah, this was the level of iman that they had. Imam Ahmed, uh, rahimullah he was asked about a boy that destroyed uh, his uh, mother's uh, instrument. This, this boy you know some boy he, he saw that his mother liked to play a certain instrument and so the boy broke it and Imam Ahmed took the opinion that the boy does not have to uh, uh, fix it nor does he have to repay it. Why? Because this is a munkar anyway so from a legal perspective uh, you're fine. Now this is very different uh, uh, in, 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 our, um, in our circumstances obviously. Because there are exceptions. So what are the exceptions? Well, first and foremost, before, before we get into the exceptions, first and foremost, obviously, uh, you have to have the right intentions. And obviously, any sort of evil that you're trying to eradicate, you can't eradicate it with a greater evil, right? As, you know, I'm sure anybody knows that if you have a wart on, uh, if, if, if a doctor... Uh, you know, has a patient come in and say, "Hey, doctor, I have a wart on my foot." Oh, no problem. I can get rid of the wart by cutting off your foot. Yeah, you can, and technically, you did a good job. I mean, the, the wart is completely gone, but so is my foot, right? So you can't do a bigger evil. And this really definitely applies. Well, there's there's a legal maxim in Islam, uh, which is what that the worst harm is removed by a lesser harm. In other words, you can only use a lesser harm to remove a a greater harm, you can't go vice versa. You can't use a greater harm to get rid of a lesser harm. And this, I think, is a great example when it comes to Muslim countries that have revolutions. Uh, uh, Sometimes they say, listen, our ruler is a very corrupt and evil ruler. And that may be true, but if you now do this coup where you overthrow the government, are you sure that, the, that you have the people in place to put in a better government? And if the answer is no, then you just made the situation worse. You got rid of one evil by creating an even worse evil. Clearly, the net sum is not a benefit. Yes, it must be a real evil. The condition is you can't go changing an evil. What is the condition? That it has to be a real evil. It can't be your conjecture. It can't be the It can't be just a dhun, like evil thoughts. Like, oh, I think somebody did something bad, so I'm going to go break you know, some of their property. You can't do that. Uh, 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 it can't be an issue of Ijtihad, right? Like, Because there's different matahib, there's different schools of thought It has to be something that is munkar, clear and obvious evil Not something that is just, you know, you know I think it's bad, so I think I'm going to destroy it It shouldn't be like that And you can't, you can't go beyond what is permissible So let's say you go to your uh, brother's house And let's say he was the b- rebellious younger brother And he's living in an apartment now You go to his house and you find a bunch of alcohol in his fridge You do have the right to, without his permission, open the bottles, pour it down the sink right? Just get rid of it. You don't have to ask about it, debate about it. No, I'm getting rid of this. This is garbage. Done. We're getting rid of it. You have the right to do that. What you don't have a right to do is, I don't know, destroy the fridge and set fire to the apartment building, <laughs> right? This is obviously going way beyond. So you can't do anything like this. So you can't obviously uh, go to extremes. And you should do it yourself. You should do it yourself. But obviously, Again, in cases where you can't do it yourself, you then uh, you, know, you call somebody or you, you know, uh, defer to somebody else. But the, di- the, the danger of diffusion of responsibility is well known. I- I'm sure we've all heard the example of people who you know they have a heart attack on the side of the road, let's say in a busy street, let's say in downtown New York or whatever the case is, and the guy's lying there dying, and everybody passing by says somebody else will deal with it, somebody else will deal with it, don't worry, somebody else will deal with it. That's called what? The diffusion of responsibility, the idea that it's not my responsibility and if everybody has that idea then the person just dies so this is very very dangerous what are some exceptions? well some exceptions would be for example Ibn Taymiyyah he had a very interesting uh, instance in his life where one of his students he saw some of the Mongol soldiers that were living in his area they were getting drunk they were having a good time drinking and he said we should go prevent them that's an evil it's a munkar, they're drinking alcohol and Ibn Taymiyyah said in response well if they're not getting drunk then they're killing the Muslims so you know what you can leave them in their, you can leave them in their uh, uh, evil, in their masiyah. Why? Because uh, we don't want to get, get them involved in the evil and worse evil. Ibn, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimullah, he also said that it's always better to try to bring the person to some sort of good activity. Because if you just destroy their bad activity, there's a very good chance that they just jump to another bad activity and it could be an even worse activity. Right, you get rid of the guy's alcohol, so he says, oh, he just took my alcohol and poured it down the, down the drain. Now I'm gonna go to the club and get more alcohol and maybe even I'll get, I don't know, Meet somebody there for a one night, etc. Right? So, the point is that you should try to instead say, I'm going to get rid of your alcohol, but I'm going to bring you to the masjid as well and try to, you know, do something of benefit, inshallah ta'ala. Otherwise, you might be encouraging them toward, towards more evil. You don't want to make things worse. And of course, a good example of making things worse would be if somebody right now listens to this talk and says, I'm so motivated. I'm going to go out to the nearest bar and start destroying everything, destroy all the alcohol. Well, what's the net result? You're going to get arrested. They're going to charge you with the damage the place is going to get reimbursed because they have insurance etc so the place is still running and the only thing you did was got yourself arrested and made them made yourself pay for all the alcohol so clearly the net was not uh, the net uh, difference was not of benefit now one thing that should not be in consideration is simply let's say verbal abuse this is something that most muslims they get afraid of oh well if my kid is doing something bad and I stop him from doing that bad thing, then he's going to cry and get mad and yell. Or maybe somebody else will blame me and say, you are you know, I don't like what you did and you're too hard, uh, you're too rough and this and that. Look, of course, do it in the best of ways. Try to do it in the wisest of ways. Of course, try to apply hikmah. But at the end of the day, it's your job to stop evil. And so, if you don't, because, oh, I'm afraid of what people might say, just remember that Allah Ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَن يَرْتَدَّ مِنْكُمْ عَنْ دِينِهِ فَ ويحبون أذلة على المؤمنين أعزة على الكافرين يجاهدون في سبيل الله ولا يخافون لوم تلائم. That's the important key part. That Allah says what? Oh, you have believed. Whoever should turn back from his religion, Allah will bring forth in his place a people who will love, who He will love, and who will love Him. And they are humble towards the believers and tough against the disbelievers, and they strive in the cause of Allah, and they do not fear the blame of the critic. This is the key point that I want to highlight that just being afraid of people's critique should not be at the top of your concern list. The top concern is what? What does Allah Ta'ala want me to do in this situation? Of course you try to do it with wisdom, and of course you try to do it in a way that's going to have some sort of benefit. But if your only concern is, oh, someone's gonna criticize me, and that's enough for me to be scared off, then that is truly and most definitely a problem. What's the next portion of the hadith? فَبِلِسَانِهِ And if he is unable to, than with his tongue. Of course, there's gonna be situations where you're unable to. So then you should try to stop evil with your tongue. What does this imply? Speak against it. And when you speak against evil and try to convince people, then we should remember a few points. One, make sure that the person understands that, the, that what they're doing is evil. Sometimes you just start criticizing them. They don't, they don't even know why they're being criticized. They don't understand that it's evil. Explain to them what the evil is. Number two, remind them of Allah Remind them of Allah's guidance. Remind them of death. Remind them of Judgment Day. Remind them of Heaven and Hell, etc. Remind them that this is brotherly advice. You're not doing this to criticize them and put them down and say that you're better than them. You're doing this as brotherly advice that is stemming from a position of love and care. Remember, try to remind them of the pros of stopping this evil and the cons of continuing this evil. So show them that even in this dunya, there's pros and cons, and you need to consider all the pros and cons. And then, of course, don't publicly humiliate them. That's not part of... Uh, uh, admonishing somebody to simply do this grandstanding grandiose type of critique that's not the objective, the objective is to speak to them privately personally and tell them and show them that you actually care and to give them private sincere advice. Now, um, kind words are definitely the standard the standard you have to start with the most beautiful kind words as possible as Allah Ta'ala says, what? Uh, <inaudible> that Allah says, invite to the way of your Lord with wisdom and with good instructions with beautiful, kind, good words. That's the standard. Um, even if people are harsh to you, your objective is to be kind back. Your objective isn't to respond to harshness with more harshness, rather you're trying to respond to harshness with uh, 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 kindness, as Allah Ta'ala says, what? That always repel or respond to evil with what? With that which is better. However, there are limits to this, and we do know that you can't get, let it get to a point where you become, let's say, a doormat where people are abusing you, and now you're looking worse and worse. Uh, uh, you're looking weak, and uh, people are mistaking your kindness for weakness. This is not something that we promote. That that, that that Islam promotes that you become so weak that people can abuse you, and you just keep on taking it more and more and more. As uh, Allah Taala mentions, even Ibrahim salam said, "What? أَفَتَعْبُدُونَ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا so Ibrahim Alayhi uh, salam it's mentioned that he said, then do you worship instead of Allah, that which does not benefit you, nor does it harm you? Uff to you. And we know that the term uf is, the, uh, is a term of, let's say, frustration or disrespect, or you could even, you know, so, so this, this type of, uh, you know, expressing frustration and anger towards them. And so this is uff to you, and to what you worship instead of Allah. So there was a point, a breaking point, you could say, where their levels of disrespect and harshness were then met with some toughness as well. Obviously, you don't want to go beyond bounds, but you want to sometimes be a little bit tough and stern to make the person wake up. This is also, we note that Allah Ta'ala mentions what? kufara, <laughs> Alehim. Allah Ta'ala says, O oh Prophet, fight against the disbelievers and the hypocrites and be stern or harsh against them. So these are all different ayat. So of course, again, to be clear, the standard, kindness, wisdom, being sweet. Even to the point where sometimes people are rude and harsh back, then you still respond with kindness and sweetness. But it does get to a point where you're now making yourself and you're making Islam look weak. And at a certain point, you either have to stop the conversation or demonstrate that, hey, even though I'm kind and even though I'm nice, that doesn't mean I'm a doormat and you can't mistake my kindness for weakness. That doesn't mean I'm to be trampled on. uh, And so you have to, you know, there's limits. Hope that's clear. Um, Now, some people would say perhaps one of the most common responses is what? But they won't listen to me. Okay, first and foremost, you don't know that if that's true or not. Uh, you don't know if they're, n- they're not going to listen to you. And furthermore, even if they don't listen to you, you're clearing yourself. Because Allah puts you in this test and you have to clear yourself so that you're not responsible on Yom Al-Qiyamah. And we know that Allah says, This is a very, very important ayah. Allah says what? And when a community amongst them said, why do you advise or why do you warn a people who Allah is about to destroy or punish with a severe punishment? What's the point of trying to save these people? They're never gonna listen. Allah's only gonna destroy them. What is the response? They say, the people who are sincere, the advisors, they say, qalu To be absolved. To be absolved before your Lord, to be absolved before Allah. I don't wanna be brought on judgment day and ask, did you say something? Ya Allah I said something whether they listened or not is not my I'm not in control of that that's their problem that's between you and uh, them and Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala ya Allah that's not my uh, control but I controlled what I can control I have an excuse before Allah I am now blameless I have absolved myself from the situation how because I said what I had to say brothers sisters what you're doing is evil I don't I know maybe you don't care maybe you don't want to listen but I've said what I had to say I'm inni <laughs> right I'm free from this I have nothing to do with this now So, or la'allahum yataqoon, or perhaps, maybe, maybe, even the person that you think is least going to listen, perhaps they're actually going to have taqwa of Allah, you never know. So that's also there as well. And subhanAllah, we know that even if you're giving a a good word and speaking the truth against evil, and even if it costs your life, then Inshallah ta'ala, that is in your mizan hasanat, that makes you a mujahid, a shaheed, I should say. As Allah ta'ala mentions, excuse me, the Prophet mentions that when he was asked, which is the best form of jihad and struggling that it is a word of truth spoken in front of an unjust ruler and the reason is obvious because an unjust ruler who is a tyrant can simply say off with his head and the guy is gone he disappears, goes into a jail solitary confinement for the rest of his life as many people are may Allah ta'ala. Subhanallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, uh, You know, save our ulama, the many, many, many countless brave ulama who have spoken against rulers and who are till this moment still stuck in solitary confinement. May Allah forgive us all. Amin, aroobin amin. Furthermore, the Prophet says, "What? la Anna rajulan nasi an bi idha alimahu." Indeed, fear of people should never, should never prevent a man from speaking the truth if he knows it. That fear of people should never prevent you from speaking the truth. If you know the truth, you should never be afraid. Oh, what will the people say? The people will live and the people will die, but Allah Ta'ala is al-hay, la yamut. Allah is living and never dies. You should worry about Allah. Allah is your Creator. Speak the truth and never be afraid of what the people have to say about it. As long as what. As long as you know what you're talking about. Because if not, then you can make mistakes. But even then, honestly, look, you're never going to have uh, you know, 100% knowledge on a given subject. You speak the amount of truth that you know, and you say, listen, my knowledge is limited. And if I made a mistake, correct me. That's okay too, right? That's what creates dialogue. But when everybody's afraid to speak, then everybody has their ideas, they formulate their own little small groups, they get into their echo chambers, they just agree with each other, then they create more, more and more extreme positions and more and more extreme uh, ideology and then subhanallah you have nothing left but chaos because people are so far gone and this subhanallah we're finding this more and more in the united states every day that people are developing their own little online communities and just an echo chamber of their own crazy ideas and subhanallah instead of having a dialogue and speaking truth in public they're just confirming their own biases in private and then subhanallah people are becoming more and more divisive this is very dangerous it's much better if you were to say look if you believe it speak it publicly and then everybody gets to speak publicly and then May the best man win, right? Uh, the, the truth will, will be clear. And then the final portion of the hadith is what? And if he is unable to, then he should hate it with his heart, and that is the weakest of faith. Now, how do you, you or change something with your heart? How do you how is it that you hating it in your heart is or, or or being against it in your heart is going to make a difference? Well, there's a few answers to that. Number one, when you hate an evil in your heart, it will make you walk away. And walking away prevents you yourself from becoming familiarized with that thing. Obviously we know that we, when you become uh, acclimated to a certain amount of evil, then that acclimatization, what does it do? It has a very negative effect where now you're not, you don't even see it as an evil anymore. So just by walking away, it remains an evil in your heart because you don't get used to it. Also when you walk away, other people see what you've done and it has an effect on them. It's a reminder that this is so bad that this person's a decent person. I know he's a good person and he's walking away from the situation.